Welcome, welcome all to yet another episode of your favorite podcast, Targo. What a wonderful day it is. What are you drinking? Bruising banter, man. Yeah. Brew for this before the banter. It's 10 pin brewing, pineapple groove. Nice. IPA. Nice. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah, you got a local beer today. Yeah. Well, I got one from our roots. I got Monk's Uncle Triple Ale from Pike's Brewing there in downtown Seattle. So, those are our brews. Let's get to some banter. Welcome to Brews and Banter before I get started. Hey. Hey, you. Come closer. 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 That's too close. Back up a little bit. I got some news for you. Manchester and London are red. Big derbies this weekend. Big derbies. We got a whole week's worth. Let's start on the 12th. Fulham and Chelsea. Woo! Fulham beat Chelsea 2-1. to one. This, what, this game was interesting. It went all over the place. Chelsea looking like the better team in the first half. New signing, Zhao Felix, making his debut. What would you think? You know, his first half wasn't bad for his first 45 minutes in English football, but second half was not, not very good for him. Um, he had no. some shots and created some chances in the first half, but, man, he had a pretty bad tackle there in the second half and was sent off. Yeah, so that's not what you want on your Chelsea debut. No, and I I believe in the first half Chelsea had ten shots, and I think it was six on goal. Joao Felix had six shots and four on target out of all of those for Chelsea. So I mean, he was their main playmaker. And then you get into the second half, and I mean, I feel like it's that first game jitters. He just got too excited, high high studs up tackle to the shin. Straight red card. Uh, I feel so bad for him, but I really don't. It was a red card offense. I mean, it, it was. You can't argue 100%. with it. His studs 100%. were up. He was high. Ref's going to call that every time. Yeah, I mean, he was a solid like foot and a half over the ball. Yeah. So like, it, it's, it is a red card every time. You called it, though. Willian. Comes back to bite <laughs> Chelsea in the ass. Right? He did. A nice goal deflection on it, but he won't care. No. Not in off the post. I mean, yeah, it, a goal's so, a goal, but... And you called the yeah. scoreline, my friend, 2-1. Yeah, yeah. I just... I knew... We all knew Fulham was going to win this game. We felt like the you know, momentum was just there. Chelsea yeah. has none. Fulham has all of it. We'll get more into Fulham later and Chelsea, but I feel like this game, it might make or break Chelsea's season. We'll see. Fun but, fact, though, Mitrovic didn't even play and Fulham get yeah. the win. So good for them. William and uh, Venusius. Venusius, yeah. something like that. Got the second goal header. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, I felt like it was one-way traffic in the second half, but the first half, I mean, Chelsea, it was all Chelsea in my opinion. Yeah, but then even in the second half there at the end, I feel like Chelsea had some chances to score, and Leno just came up with some good saves. Yeah. Yeah, Leno bringing back the clock to his (laughs) Arsenal days. All right, on the 13th, 
we had a relegation battle. Aston Villa versus Leeds. This was a big game. I know we had talked a lot about it. Villa won 2-1. to one. Leon Bailey with the first goal. You were telling me that, uh, what was his name? You called it. What's that? For for the first goal. No, that was you who I called Leon Bailey. Bailey. You said uh, somebody else. Anyways, uh, yeah, Bailey and Buendia get the goals for Villa. Um, yeah, I mean, Leeds had a corner 17 seconds later. It's in the back of the net. Pure counterattack in action. Alex Moreno had his debut in that game for Villa. I, I thought he looked really impressive. Yeah, he didn't look bad. He had to come on for injured Luca Digne, and he actually mm-hmm. had a goal line clearance. So, I mean, yeah. not bad on your first first appearance there for Villa. I know. He almost missed it. Went between his legs, but hit his back leg and went out for a corner kick. Uh, yeah. We also had Patrick Bamford. Fun fact. First goal in over a year. Yeah, it's good to it. see him back. Good to see him back. Yeah. He's been battling his injuries. I know with him in the squad, I think Leeds are definitely a better team. I agree. I 100% and agree. That was a fun game to watch, though. It was back and forth. It, it really was. It was very back and forth. Um, I definitely, you know, from the onset after Via scored, I I wasn't sure if Leeds were going to get back into it, but they made it an even contest. And then, you know, Villa put them away and Leeds scored late. So. Made Almost feel a little bad for Leeds. I feel like they could have, they deserved a draw out of that game, but that's that's football for you. Don't always get what I you mean, deserve. <laughs> yeah, especially in the relegation battles, you know, every inch counts. Now, not quite a all relegation right. battle. Villa are doing all right. I don't think they'll they'll get dragged down into it, but Leeds are definitely in the thick of it down there. Yes, especially after that game and the results that follow. But we had arguably the biggest game of the weekend. On the 14th, the big Manchester Derby at Old Trafford. This thing was controversial, tight, back and forth, and everything you want out of a Manchester Derby. But as they say, Manchester United got a Manchester United call. We'll get there in a second. But they did win. 2-1 2-1 to one over City. Grealish starts the scoring right after coming on as a sub off of a header. I mean, he was wide open. Yeah, and you could kind of feel the goal coming. City started to really impose themselves at the beginning of that second half. So it wasn't surprising they got, they got that goal. I mean, it's hard to keep them out of the net anyways, but in a Manchester derby, I don't think ever that those games will ever go one team doesn't score. Yeah. Never going to be a clean sheet. I will say, though, in the first half, I feel like Man United had the better of the chances. Mm -hmm. In the first half, it seemed like Man City, yes, they had the possession, but they weren't creating anything. They weren't getting any shots off. But on the other end, Ederson, he had to make some saves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bruno had a fantastic game. Um. Rashford leads again. Us, <laughs> leads us to their first goal. Um, yeah, I it's controversial. At the In the end of the day, they called it a goal. Marcus Rashford started off sides. 
Um, he appeared to make a play for the ball, and then Bruno Fernandes came in and finished the ball, finished it bottom corner. It was originally ruled offsides. They took it back after a check on VAR and counted it as a goal. Targo, what did you think? Uh, that was a tough one, man. So yeah, the ball gets played to Rashford, you could say, and he's in an offside position, but he never touches the ball and he doesn't impede the defender. You can see he does go to the ball. I mean, the ball is under his legs for a good couple strides before Bruno Fernandez comes and slots it home. For me, it shouldn't have counted. I gotta say, I feel like yes, Rashford was offside and by letter of the rule, he did not impede the defender. He did not touch the ball. So it's going to count. But he affects the defender. He affects the goalie. And those should be taken in consideration. And I don't think the goal should have counted. No. And I, I 100% agree. If this was five years ago, it's if the player makes a play at the ball. And Rashford clearly makes a pass at the ball. He looks like he's going to shoot it and then stops. Yeah. Kanji stops. Ederson stops. They all thought it was going to be called for outsides. I understand play to the whistle, right? Let VAR take care of it. But in this day and age with VAR and you never know which way the call is going to be called. You have to keep playing no matter what happens. Let them call it back later on, but you can't just stop. Ederson and Akanji did Bruno Fernandez. He, he made him pay. And I agree with you. I think that was definitely offsides. Rashford's actions towards the ball made Akanji and Ederson stop. It changes what the defender and the goalie do, where they're positioned at. Yeah. Especially Ederson. I mean, Akanji obviously is going towards Rashford. He doesn't go towards Bruno. Yeah. Who eventually scores the goal. And so obviously Ederson, I think he's looking at Rashford expecting the shot from him and then Bruno comes in. And so I, I, again, he had an effect on the play, which is why I don't think it should. should Yeah. I mean, Rashford's body language said he was going to shoot it with his left foot to the left, but Bruno hit it with his right foot to the right. Like that's a clear and obvious change of direction. Ederson is going to anticipate going to his right, the attacker's left. But in the end, it goes to his right, his left, the attacker's right. It's going to change the dynamic of that whole attacking scenario. Yeah, but by the letter of the law, he didn't touch the ball. So yeah, it was only the tying goal. You know, um, Garnacho came on as a sub, playing like a man on fire. Eventually, gets a cross in. Rashford knocks it between Ederson's legs. Scored his. Scored again. So it's seven and seven for Rashford. Actually, technically it's eight and seven, but he scored in the last seven games for United. He scored in every game since the World Cup. Yeah, he's been on fire. Uh, Yeah. That's the winner. And Holland's goal drought goes to over 200 minutes for the first time all season. Is it time to hit the panic button for City? Holland, he didn't have hardly any chances. I know there was a shout for a penalty there at the end. But yeah, he, he didn't do much, I will say. No. So it brings up the question, is it is it time for the panic button at City? Uh, apparently Pep thinks so. He says they're out of the title race. There's no chance for them. You know, he could just be saying that, but 
I wouldn't hit the panic button yet. I mean, they still have the Champions League to play for, so that's obviously a tournament that they really want to win. I mean, you did call it. That is the ch- the competition they're going to put all their eggs in a basket for. Um, I think I'm. I might be wrong now. I might already admit that I was wrong with City winning the title. I don't even know if they finished second at this point, the way they've been playing. I mean, they've only scored five in their last eight, and three of those came against Leeds. Yeah. They're a one-dimensional team. If Holland doesn't score, I don't know if they do. They've definitely been relying on him quite a bit. Yeah. But he's not in Chelsea. I mean, that was a tight game, too. So they do have playmakers, you know, Mares, Jack Grealish, Mm -hmm. Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne. There's there's a whole host of them that can score goals. Julian Alvarez can still come off the bench and have an impact. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's going to be this city team has won so much in the last five years. It's how does Pep really motivate them to win more titles, even though they've won them so many times. How do you motivate a bunch of millionaires, huh? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that's why Pep said that they, and I mean, they're out of the Carabao cup. We'll get to that later. And he said, they stand no chance at the league title. I mean, they do stand a chance mathematically. It's only halfway through the season. Not even, but if he's given up now, what message does that send to the players? I think it might be more of a mental mental game. Kind of take yeah. the pressure off of his players. Could be. I mean, most people think they're going to win the title before it even begins. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, Some people thought about that. This next team we're going to talk about as well. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I was just going to segue into that. So thank you. Uh, yeah. So speaking of teams that were predicted to win the league, we had Brighton against Liverpool. Man, this was never close. No, this is and this is Brighton's best start ever to a Premier League season. Yeah, they're sitting in uh, what is it, seventh place right now. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, it brings up the question: How high is their ceiling? I think honestly, it's about there. Yeah, you know, you look at the league table, the teams that are above them. I mean, they could probably go up into sixth. Then after that, you start getting into Tottenham, Man United, Chelsea, Man City, and then Arsenal. And, I, and you, you know, you I, do expect kind of Liverpool and Chelsea to probably have a bounce back here at some point in the season. So, I, I mean, obviously anywhere in that in the top 10 is great for Brighton and Hove Albion. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't mean to correct you, but um, Chelsea is behind them. Yeah, I, I expect Chelsea to catch up to them at some point. Yeah, they're only and two I mean, points behind Brighton. They, how much money they spent? They, I mean, they should. But again, we'll get into that a little bit later. I predict Chelsea they'll go on a six-seven game winning streak here at some point in the season, and that'll definitely boost them up the table. Yeah, I mean they got a tough February, so we'll see. Um, with the Champions League as well, I mean. Well, again, this, this is not about Chelsea. It's about Liverpool. But Brighton is on fire. Liverpool give up three goals in back-to-back games for the first time in 10 years. This one ends 3-0. Brighton completing the Merseyside bingo by beating Liverpool and Everton away from home and at home. Liverpool did not look good in this game. No. 
they look they awful. look bad. Yeah. I mean, when Brighton, a team of Brighton's caliber against Liverpool has 68% possession, I feel like that's a statement. I mean, I know there was no Virgil van Dijk in this game. He was out. Yeah. But still, you, you expect more from Liverpool. I mean, they have still have Mohamed Salah. Cody Gagpo got his Premier League debut. They still have Thiago Henderson, Fabinho in that midfield. and I mean, they still got Joe Gomez and Konate, Matic. Not Matic, I'm sorry. Matip. Yeah, it was Matip, Matip. and Konate who started, and then Alexander-Arnold Robertson. Yeah. Up top, they had uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Cody Gagpo, and Mohamed Salah. And, I mean, Salah, he looks like a shell of the former player he was a couple years ago. And honestly, this whole Liverpool team looks like a shell of the team it was a couple years ago. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of shell, I mean, Alex- Oxlade-Chamberlain starting up front, I mean, what is that Ninja Turtle doing up there? I don't understand. Darwin Nunez was out injured, so. But you got Firmino. Like, why Why not play Firmino up front? I'm not I sure don't... if he's on the injury list as well, but no, they yeah. went with Oxley Chamberlain. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's experimenting at this point, right? They're on a free fall, and you got to try everything you can if you're Jurgen Klopp. I'll be curious to see if they make any more signings here in this January transfer window. Yeah, Klopp came out a couple of days ago and said that, they uh, they don't have any money and they don't expect any more signings. I think that might be a, a mental tactic to give them a little bit less pressure. I think they have the money and they will sign players where they need to. If they don't sign players, I don't see things getting much better for them this season. I, I don't either. Um, I mean, ninth place kind of looks like their form right now. And I think that's what they deserve at this point. Same with Chelsea in 10th. But on the same note, let's... Let's talk about how impressive that Brighton team is. Like, oh Brighton my god, great! I mean, just the players. Matoma looked fantastic. Ferguson looked good. Caicedo, yeah. Pascal Gross, Alexis McAllister, Sully March. They all Sully March with a double in that game. Yeah, I mean, Ale- McAllister looks all of eighty million that they say he's worth. Sully March looking like a man on fire, and this is all with. Leandro Trossard with contract negotiations going down the drain saying he'll never play for Brighton ever again, arguably yeah. one of their best players of the season and they don't even need him. Yeah. He's got seven goals this season, but coach said him, Nope, I don't want to deal with your drama. You're not, you're not in the squad for this game. And rightly so, if that's the way he's going to behave, I mean, you're still a professional. You have to behave like a professional. Yeah. So we'll see if he's still there at the end of the month. I don't think he will be. I don't think so either, especially with only six months left on his contract. If the only way out for him is a transfer, Brighton would much rather have money than let him leave for free. So, yeah. Which leads us to, I mean, we were talking about the upper end of the table. This weekend arguably was about the bottom of the table scraps. I mean, next up we have Everton against Southampton. Southampton midweek, I mean, as one of the biggest upsets I've ever seen ever with them beating Manchester City in the Carabao Cup 2-0. I think that jumpstarts their season, and they showed it with a 2-1 win over Everton. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, this is a this was a week kind of about the relegation zone, and six of the bottom eight teams played each other this weekend. So this was a big game for both Everton and Southampton. And yeah, Southampton come out with the three points. Huge win for them. 
they are still cemented to the bottom of the table, but they're tied on points now with the two teams above them. So good result for Southampton. And yeah, maybe they do use this as a kind of a kickstart to their season. Yeah, I mean, Everton, Everton looks so bad and I, they're in so much trouble right now. I mean, does Frank Lampard stand a chance to last until the next weekend? Well, I don't know, man. There, there's a lot of issues going on at Everton Football Club right now. There, there was some uh, security issues this weekend. Uh, the board was told not to attend the game. So, I mean, that's a I big. I do remember. I do remember seeing an article on their chairman getting put in a headlock by Everton fans on her way out of their last game. Yeah, Everton fans are not happy with the things going on at their club. No, which, I mean, if I'm Frank Lampard, I feel like that's a blessing in disguise. That Might they're more the upset him. <laughs> over the board than him. But at the same time, I I feel bad for him. I mean, I, I don't think he's done a terrible job. He hasn't done a good job. It's just he's got a lot of players he's inherited that don't fit together. And I feel like he didn't Everton didn't play too bad in that first half. You no. know, they got the first goal when Anna gets a header in and they looked the better team. I thought in the first mm-hmm. half and then 50 seconds into the second half, Southampton gets a goal. Yeah. I mean, James Ward Prowse, he is on a tear and I swear to God, he is going for David Beckham's free kick record. It's only two back, but he had double in this game, single handedly beating Everton. Yeah, his he had a his first goal, and then the second goal was a free kick. I definitely think Pickford could have done something on that second goal. You know, I don't know, not a not a goalie, but that was a free kick from pretty far out. And yeah, you know, you expect your goalie to at least make an attempt for it. And he just he was rooted to the spot. Yeah, and I mean, this win for Southampton is huge. It completely opens up. I mean, really, the last six places. Only two points separate 14th and 20th at this point. That's crazy. It, I mean, it was five between 13th and Southampton and 20th. I mean, there's like seven or eight teams battling down there. Yeah. And a couple of them, I mean, we'll talk about some of them in a second, but a couple of them are pretty big teams that don't deserve, I mean, on paper, don't deserve to be down where they're The history, at. yeah. Yeah. With their history, you expect them not to be there, but. Yeah. Yikes. Which leads us to the East Midlands Derby. Uh, Forrest against Leicester. Forrest wins 2-0. Leicester looks absolute garbage for the squad they have on the field. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to, any positives to say about that nah. Leicester team, man. I, I mean, I have positives to say about Forrest. Uh, they are announcing Danilo, former Arsenal, uh, been linked to Arsenal. Uh, as their 24th transfer of the season. Uh, including over the summer. Yeah, they, I know they made a bunch of changes summer, over which the summer. Which is an English transfer record. <laughs> I mean, that's two whole squads that they brought in. However, yeah. that win brings them from the relegation zone to clear by five points at this point. It's a huge win Yeah, they're in 13th place now. Yeah. That's a, that was a huge win for them. I'm I, I'm pretty sure last week we were talking about them not being anywhere near the quality to get out of the relegation zone, and now they're in 13th and five points ahead of Southampton. Well, we'll see. You know, they're still 
We're not quite halfway through the season, but I, man, I don't know. I picked them to go down, so I'm going to stick by my guns and say things will will take a t- turn for the worse for them. But you know, they didn't this week. Good for Nottingham Forest. They they got the win, and they're sitting kind of pretty right now. Yeah, I mean, they have at least a cushion. Granted, they, they got they a have cushion. The You're not wrong. They got a cushion there. Worst goals against record in the Premier League. Um, that's not a good sign. <laughs> no. <laughs> but they're playing a lot better lately. So, I mean, it's it's looking positive for Forrest. Lester, <laughs> yeah, they look awful. I don't know how much longer Brendan Rodgers has a job. Um, but that's about as much as I'll say about that. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can say is Lester, they're sitting in 15 points, or 15th place, two yes. points above the relegation zone. So, I mean, yeah. they're... They're not I mean, in you're it, only but... off by two points. They only have 17 sitting yeah. in 15. So you were almost correct by saying 15 and 15. So <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Uh, next that we had Wolves against West Ham. These are two decently, I want to say decently big clubs. West Ham is definitely a big club. Yeah. Wolves has shown recently, I mean, the last five years that they are a pretty big club. They have a lot of quality on their squad. Both are in the drop zone. Coming into this game, Wolves win 1-0, get themselves out, dropping West Ham to 18th. That was a huge win for Wolves. Huge. Huge win. Um, yeah. You know, in Wolves, they went up 1-0. Daniel Prodens. Daniel Podens, yeah. Scoring, continuing his hot streak after his arguably goal of the season last week. Yeah, they scored in the 48th minute off a really good counterattack. <laughs> Uh, so we'll see. I mean, you know, West Ham had their chances. Wolves had more chances to put it away. And it was a feisty affair, that's for sure. So it, we'll see how they continue. They got to kind of build on this win. I, I do think Wolves, you know, they brought in a new coach. They have brought in a couple new players. I think they do stay up. They, I mean, they have a great team there. Lots of Portuguese players, as we know. Yeah. So I do expect them to stay up. The way West Ham are playing. You know, you expect the same with West Ham, with the players they got, man. They got Declan Rice, Skamaka, Jared Bowen, Fabianski back there. I mean, arguably half their squad is worth over 50 mil each. Yeah, I don't I don't know how they're down there. I don't I don't know what's going on with them this season. They I mean, you know, like last couple of years, what was it fifth and sixth place finishes, something like that, up there at the top of the table. Yeah, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, somewhere in there, the last five years. They've been on a tear. David Moyes arguably was one of the coaches of the season in the last couple of years. Yeah. Now he's looking like he's lost his magic. I don't understand where it went. He's not a bad coach. No, I again, I mean, it's a close game. You know, it's a one nil. So hopefully they can start turning those one nils into a one nil into their favor going the other way. But yeah, they're not looking good right now. They're they're sitting in the drop zone. So they need they need changes and fast. Fast, yeah. Um, speaking of drop zone, we had Brentford against Bournemouth next. Brentford beat Bournemouth 2-0. Yeah, that was probably Ivan one of the Tony easiest with games to predict for this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Ivan Tony scored on his return. Um, yep. I Gets was a PK. privy to Scores a... The PK. Uh, yeah, I was privy to a, uh, a comment about Brentford's jerseys since they have the same stripes as Newcastle and are NFL referees, 
Uh, I was told that Brentford's jerseys look like a referee on his period. <laughs> so, um, anyways, Brentford's now unbeaten in seven. Ivan Tony's back. Um, how high is the ceiling for Brentford? I mean, they're on fire. They are on fire, man. You know, they're sitting in eighth place on 29 points, just one point behind Brighton. I mean, they're above Liverpool and Chelsea. I don't think most people would have predicted that mm. almost halfway through the season. So, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't think they go much higher than where they're at. Again, if they're, they're not fighting in the relegation zone, they're sitting above 10th place. You're going to be happy if you're a Brentford fan. I mean, I believe their highest ever finish was like 11th. Um, they're in eighth now. Arguably, you know, Brentford, Brighton, and Fulham have been better than anyone below them. Arguably better than Tottenham, who's above them. But only four points separate Brentford and Tottenham. <laughs> Brentford's never been in a European competition. They're well, that one would be point away from season, being man, to in to the squeak into the a European competition. Yeah, one point. The way they're playing this season, I mean, if they keep hold of Ivan Tony for all of January, I think their ceiling, they might be standing on the roof. Not actually like the ceiling. <laughs> but, I mean, Brighton and Fulham are right there with them. It's been like, I feel like it's been, I heard it somewhere earlier. Uh, I believe it was, it's been 40 years since Fulham finished above Chelsea. Yeah, I remember that hearing some sat like that. It's it's looking very promising for Fulham. Let's just say that. Uh, Which brings us to Chelsea. Uh, On the 15th, we had another London derby for Chelsea. They played Palace at home at Stamford Bridge. They won 1-0, but it certainly wasn't deserved. I would argue that it was. I mean, both teams had their chances, but I do feel like Chelsea controlled the game. Um, That first half, I do think, Palace probably had a couple of the better chances. Kepa definitely had to come up with some saves. But I do feel like Chelsea controlled the flow of the game, especially in that second half. And it was kind of one of those. It was it was an ugly win. It wasn't pretty. But it was one of those. They got, they got the three points, and they kind of march on. Yeah. They definitely needed it. I mean, it's only their second win in their last ten games. Uh, they unveiled Mihailo Mudrik at halftime who also looked miserable coming out onto the field, but we'll get into that later. Oh, you're just saying that because you're a little hurt. No, I'm not. I feel bad for him. But again, we'll get into that later. Uh, It took until the second half for Kai Havertz to score on the 64th minute. He had a couple of chances before that. Palace is in a free fall. I feel like this was the perfect game for Chelsea to get the momentum back. It was very, in my opinion, it was very back and forth, and I don't know if I think Chelsea deserved all three points. I think maybe a draw was a little more even for the two teams, but it. No, I mean, good Chelsea, for Chelsea. deserved that. They I needed that. The win. If they lose this game, I mean, it puts them uh, even with Aston Villa in 11th. Um, we'll see if Grand Potter can turn it around now that he's got a couple new signings in. We'll see. I mean, uh, one of them again, started for this game. Uh, get back Chale, to that later. About a shield, their defender. So, yeah, no feeling too bad. Who uh, is apparently going to cost them a million dollars per game now that he's been suspended for three games? 
I don't think it was quite like that, but it, it's close. If you take like, into account his salary and the transfer fee, it is a okay. million. Yeah. I thought it was just like 600 and something thousand. Is what yeah, $666,666 just with the transfer fee. That's which ridiculous. Which is still insane. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. But once you get into his salary as well, I, I'm not going to lie. It might be one of the worst loan deals I've ever seen. Unless you're in Atletico Madrid. True. And we'll get into that in a little, a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> next, we had the battle of black and white with Newcastle and the refereeing jerseys against Fulham with arguably the ugliest jerseys I've seen in the Premier League this year. Mint green with stripes. Not a fan of that Fulham jersey, huh? No, it's <laughs> awful. I've seen Arsenal in mint green jerseys. It wasn't great. But it wasn't as ugly as this Fulham jersey that just looks out of place. Newcastle wins 1-0 because of the ugly jerseys. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it, this game was close. It deserved to be a draw. Fulham got a penalty in the second half. This might have been the most unfortunate penalty kick I've ever seen. And Mitrovic goes to take the penalty slips, kicks the ball off his own foot. It goes in the goal. But because you cannot be the first person to touch the ball after you shoot it as a penalty kick taker, it is rescinded and not counted as a goal. I feel so it bad. It goes as a direct free kick for the other team or yeah, whatever it was. It, he slips. I understand the law is the law, just like the United City game. But... So like, yeah, kind of to paint a picture, as, as he goes to step up to take this PK, his planting foot, his left plant foot, slips and hits the ball, and then his right foot, as he's swinging it, also hits the ball and goes into the net. And so because yeah. he touched it twice, before touched it twice, basically, it's then given as a direct free kick for the other team, because he can mm-hmm. only touch it once. Yeah. And which would have changed the tide of the game, but... <laughs> yeah, that would have put no. it up 1-0. Yeah. Uh, but Newcastle getting some momentum off of that call. I mean, 20 minutes later goes down the field, and you know, Callum Wilson looks fantastic, although missed probably five or six chances in this game. The last 20 minutes he looked fantastic, has a shot, bounces off the back of a player, crosses it. Alexander Izak, first game back from injury, which has gone pretty much half the season. Heads it in. Newcastle win one now. Yeah, and that was in the 89th minute at the end. So it was a close one. Yeah. So, I mean, Newcastle need a midfielder with Bruno Gemmerich going out in tears off the field after what looked like a sprained or broken ankle. He walked off, so we'll see. Yeah, and we'll see, but he was in tears. Uh, I think it was more sad he was going off than I, him being I, injured. I agree. But... He'll be out for at least a couple weeks, regardless we'll of see what how long the injury he's out for. is. Fulham looked good. Newcastle's defense, again, looked better. Newcastle are unbeaten in 14 now, which is the longest streak in the Premier League. Arsenal's only at 12, and they're in first. Newcastle's at 14. 
I mean, they're 22 goal differential plus 22 with only 11 let in and 33 scored. In comparison to Manchester City, who have the most goals scored, is 13 goals less. But they're one point behind Manchester City. I think they have a game in hand, though, don't they? Uh, Yeah. City does, yes. But still, Newcastle is that impressive to me. Their defense is so good. It's a, I mean, it's a typical Eddie Howe team. Even when he was at Bournemouth, they were great defensively. They just couldn't score. Yeah, they looked they looked good this season. So, I mean, Newcastle looks good. We'll see where they end up at the end of the season. They got a lot of money. We'll see if they bring in any players in the, the January transfer window. They're setting themselves up for a Champions League finish. And if they do that. I think they will, man. That sets up a whole nother echelon for them in transfer signings. They'll be like Man City, you know, when they got their new oil money. I think they're going to be more like PSG than Manchester City. Manchester City at least had the coaching to be able to attract. With Eddie Howe, I think it's going to be more of the status of Newcastle, the history, which Manchester City didn't have before. Newcastle has the history. They just haven't had it in a long time. I just Newcastle, they're a wild card in this Premier League race. They, they're going to cause a lot of upsets. And I just, I think that they're going to, they're going to, they're going to not score a lot of goals and they're going to take away the one nil to the arsenal and make it one nil to the Newcastle. (laughs) Their defense is that good, which brings me to the next game, which arguably in our biased eyes is the biggest game (laughs) of the weekend (laughs) happens to be the last one, the North London Derby. I mean, what do we think of Tottenham? Shit. And what do we think of shit? Tottenham. Ah, thank you. We hate Tottenham. We hate Tottenham. We hate Tottenham. We do. Anyways, uh, yeah, Arsenal went out, win 2 0, eight points clear of Manchester City. Thank you, Manchester United. Red all the way. Uh, but that brings us to next weekend. I mean, that's going to be a hell of a game, Manchester United and Arsenal. Um, Arsenal were the better team straight out of the blocks. I mean, we've been seeing this from Tottenham all season. First half, they sit back. Takes them a while to get started. Second half, they look better. But again, we kind of predicted this, that Arsenal were going to get ahead. (laughs) Going to get ahead in the beginning. And they were going to put it away. And then Tottenham were going to have to play off the back foot the rest of the game, which plays straight into Arsenal's hands. Arsenal looked great. Tottenham looked like they could not, the entire first half, could not get a pass off, let alone get out of their own half. That first goal, though. Oh, that's a that's a howler. Kai Osaka takes it down the line, goes to hit a cross, deflects off Sessignon's foot, hits Lloris in the chest, goes through his hands, and then goes in the goal. Yeah, How that was a be- bad one. I don't want to say this is reminiscent of Fabian Barthez. But French goalies, after they win a World Cup, 
seem to make monumentous mistakes. Hugo Lloris has done it six times this season now. Fabian Bartes did it a lot for Manchester United. Is this a French thing or is this an aging Hugo Lloris thing? I think it's an aging Hugo Lloris thing. I do. He um, he's he's up there. He just retired from the national team. So I uh yeah, that was a bad mistake, man. It it was real bad. Saka had no hope no. of scoring from there at no. that angle. You can see by his celebrations, he didn't expect that to go in. And when no. it went in, he turned around and was like, I'll take it. It went in. Cool. Yeah. We're up 1 0. This is great. Yeah. And then the second goal, man, take nothing away from that one from Odegaard. He had a a blast from all of what, 25 yards out? 25 yards out. Low shot I mean, down to the bottom right corner. And it was great from Odegaard. The problem for me, being unbiased, is the lack of pressure from Tottenham's defense. They let him oh, they, yeah, dribble in, gave him an open shot to that bottom corner. All he did was slot it in, and Hugo Lloris, I mean, credit to Odegaard's shot, but Lloris, he dove late. It looked like he just he did fell play, over. Yeah. He dove late, and then like you said, the midfield there for Tottenham, they there was no pressure on Odegaard. It was kind of on a counterattack. The midfield goal and, or defense. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the first half. We go into the second half. I'm thinking Arsenal are going to win this by four or five nil. And then we get the normal Tottenham. After halftime, they make adjustments. They get more attacking. They looked much better. However... They faced a brick wall of Aaron Ramsdale with seven saves, and a couple of them I'm absolutely shocked that he made. He had some really nice saves. He had one in the first half right before halftime, a glancing header from Harry Kane. But for me, the the best save was that Ryan Sessegnon one yeah. off yeah. his foot. I mean, at that point, you that know, ball's going zero, hit. and that yeah. was early in the first half. I think that was within the first what ten minutes or so. I think it was like the fifty-sixth minute, but yeah, I so mean, it was you, close. It was close yeah. in the beginning of the first half, and so they would have had a long time to to get that second to try to equalize. But yeah, Ramsdale came up big, made some key saves, and kept Arsenal yeah. in it. And then you kind of see there the last ten minutes or so, the hope kind of kind of faded from Tottenham and. Arsenal saw the win. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Spurs had about 10 minutes in that second half where they were the clear and obvious better team. They were, they were getting chances, yeah. But if it wasn't for Aaron Ramsdale, I mean, this game could have been completely different. I, some of those saves, granted, Tottenham's shot shooting, they might have had some that were on target, but most of them were right at Ramsdale. There were a couple. A Son shot, a Kane shot, and the Sessignon save, which arguably easily the best save. Not arguably, day. that was the best save. <laughs> Again, I'll argue it was not, but arguably, um, <laughs> yeah. Aaron Ramsdale, I mean, he deservedly won man of the match. He even I, got kicked I, by a fan at the end of the game. Did you see that? God. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I don't expect anything less out of Tottenham fans. But the fact that he's going to grab his water bottle 
as a normal goalie does after a game. And a fan jumps down and kicks him in the back and then runs off afterwards. It's yeah, a lack it's of class. Ugly. Something you don't want to see. Lack of class, in my opinion. Which is why I wanted to do the chant before this game became a uh, review. Because Tottenham fans in this game had no class. Arsenal fans sometimes are a little over-optimistic. They have their own chance that aren't the nicest. (laughs) I don't think any Arsenal fan would run onto the field and kick Hugo Lloris in the back if they were losing. Yeah, I mean, it's just ugly. Again, something you don't want to see from anyone. No, no. And fans shouldn't do that. That fan will probably get banned from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Should be banned from every Premier League game. I agree. Uh, But that is Arsenal's first win against Tottenham away since the White Hart Lane days. And I believe 2015 was the last time Arsenal won away to Tottenham. So this is a huge swing in momentum for Arsenal. They're now unbeaten in 12, eight points clear of Manchester City. I'm beginning to rethink my top four prediction. I'm not I kind of want to rethink my top four prediction as well. I'm not saying Arsenal. I'm beginning to rethink Manchester City as second. Oh, I'm, I, I was thinking uh, my Liverpool making it into the top four. Yeah, I, I think my uh, top four might be correct. The order might be wrong. But the Arsenal, City, Newcastle, Manchester United, not in that order. It's not what I said. Uh, I think as a top four, I did say City is going to win the title. I'm not going to say they're not going to win it because I'm an Arsenal fan and I'm very superstitious and I know what happens if I say otherwise. It's worked so far. This is my undefeated Arsenal jersey. Every game I've worn it, they haven't lost. I'm, I'm not, not a saying City is going to win the title one every time. So <laughs> I'm not saying City isn't going to win the title, but Manchester United have seriously impressed me. I yeah. don't think they're going to finish fourth. I That's definitely think Man United will be in the top four this by the end of the campaign. Yeah, I don't think they're going to finish fourth though. I think they'll be higher. Think second. It's possible. I'm going to go with what the next week brings, and we'll cover <laughs> that in the next episode. Anyways, that was this week. On the 18th, we have Crystal Palace against said Manchester United. Now they're going to play Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday. Crystal Palace is an easier, not easy, but easier opposition. How do you See, think they're this game Park. That's a That's a rowdy stadium. Mm-hmm. How do you think this game goes? Man, it's hard to bet against Manchester United. They're playing so well right now. I think I, they, I, they get the result. I don't think this goes Palace's way. I think Palace might make it interesting because they're at home. Yeah. But I do think Marcus Rashford makes it eight games in a row with a goal. And then Manchester United's fans start calling him the Manchester Mbappe. <laughs> Uh, he's got a way to go there, but and fans we'll have made scores a, a sweet volley or scores a hat trick in a World Cup final. Then maybe, which <laughs> reminds me, 
Speaking of volleys, I don't mean to go digress back to the Arsenal game, but how about the probably one of the greatest misses I've ever seen? Oh, are you talking about the that Thomas, Thomas Partey volley out of midair off his shin? The goal lifted off the ground. That would have been a goal of the season contender, that's for sure. I might have said in. a, a, a Pus, was it Puskas? 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 Puskas Award. Puskas Award winner. Like that. That if that went in, oh my god, that would have been it deserved to North go London in. Derby a... hero after the first one, and you saw that one live. I did. That was a great one. One yeah. goal of the season too is for Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal's goal of the season. Yes. So I'm just saying like, that was probably the best one of the best misses I've ever seen in my entire life. So, anyways, notable games that happened earlier this week again: Carabao Cup quarterfinals. United beat Charlton. Rashford had two goals. Newcastle beat Leicester City. And then we had Southampton beating Manchester City, setting up a wonderful, wonderful quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup where nobody has won a trophy in at least six years. As it stands, we have Newcastle, who haven't won a major trophy in 68 years. South facing Southampton, who haven't won a trophy in 46 years against United. It's only six years, but it still feels like a lot longer. And then Nottingham Forest, 26 years. And the last trophy they won was a European competition. I'm just saying, it's very intriguing for a Carabao Cup that nobody cares about. (laughs) It's a trophy. How important is this for Ten Hawk? I would say not important. I think it's very important as you think momentum so? goes. If Ten Hawk wins a trophy before the season is over, I feel like this gives him a huge boost in confidence, a huge boost in the way that their plan is going to where Manchester United are now like, okay, we are almost where we used to be. Next season, we can challenge if we get the right signings. You think it's more important than finishing second in the Premier League? I do. Because if they finish top four, it's the same as finishing second. If you finish first or you finish third, I guess first is out of the question almost for them. But if you finish second or fourth, it's almost exactly the same thing. You get almost the same money. You're in the Champions League. Granted, fourth is still qualifying. Yeah. But you're going to play a shitty team, most likely. It. You're in the Champions League. You're accomplishing what you wanted. I mean, Arsene Wenger said it just as well as anybody. Fourth place, as far as money goes, is the same as a trophy. That's what he I'd said. I'd rather have a trophy. I would, too. But <laughs> if they have both, Carabao Cup and... Fourth place? We'll see. Maybe if it I'm was the saying. FA Cup, I'd be a little more optimistic. But Everybody would rather have the FA Cup. I get it. But it's an automatic qualification to Europe. Eh, we'll see. So, if they get knocked out of the Europa League by Barcelona. Which the way Barca played today, that could very well happen. And how streaky United have been this season. If they get on a downslide and a couple of injuries, Marcus Rashford gets hurt. I feel like they're screwed. It's just like Arsenal. If Bukayo Saka gets hurt, they're screwed. 
or Odegaard even. It's if United can get that trophy and get the automatic qualifications, a lot of pressure off their backs. Personally, I'm going to root for Newcastle. That fan base after what they've been through with Mike Ashley, I feel like they deserve a trophy. More than any team I've ever seen. Bottom of the table, wins the Carabao Cup. (laughs) Who doesn't want to see that? Uh, I would love to see a Forest and Southampton final. I'm just going to say that. Uh, Anyways, off to Spain. Actually, (laughs) I say Spain. I mean Saudi Arabia. Uh, (laughs) We had Real Madrid against Valencia in the Spanish Supercopa. Finish 1-1, Madrid wins on penalties, Courtois is the hero. And then we go over to Barcelona and Real Betis. Barcelona was up 2-0, Betis scores two goals in the second half. We go to penalties. No, that is not the way, sorry. Um, So it was 1-1 after full time, and then it was 2-2 after extra time. You are correct. In that game. I looked at the wrong Tristagen, Marc-Andre Tristagen, the Barcelona goalkeeper, he he played very good that game and had to. Force into a lot of very good saves. Barcelona makes it through to the final. And unlike the semifinals, where it was close, and they let the other team in it, on the 15th of January, Barcelona wins their first trophy of the season, winning an El Clasico 3-1, to which ultimately was never really that close. No, it wasn't. Gavi scores in the 33rd minute. Lewandowski scores in the 45th. Pedri scores in the 68th. And then, I mean, honestly, the last 25 minutes of that game was just a walk in the park. Looked like men versus boys. Yeah, it really Benzema gets a consolation goal literally in the last minute. It's still shocking to me, though, that in Spain, Barcelona cannot beat Madrid, but as soon as they go out of Spain, it's men against boys, which is to me the ultimate shocker that it's that big of a difference in class outside of Spain. Yeah, Gavi and Pedri, they both looked really good. Was it Gavi who's 18, Pedri's 19, something like that? Uh, I believe Gavi just turned 18. He was 17 in the World Cup. He he definitely had a man of the match and performance. Pedri he just two assists 20. and a goal that game. Yeah, it's amazing what comes out of Barcelona's academy is always amazing to me. Yeah. So, and then we go back to earlier in the week. We had Napoli against Juventus in the Serie A. First against second. It really wasn't first against second. It was men against boys. It ended five to one. This was also a men against boys. Yes. It was close at halftime, at least. It was 2-1 at halftime. Napoli were winning. Di Maria gets the one goal for Juve. He was probably the best player in that first half. He hit the crossbar. But yeah, it was Napoli were just scoring for fun in that game in the second half. Yeah. Victor Osiman looked amazing. Worth every penny of the 100 plus million he is worth at this point. How long he stays with Napoli will be decided. Probably in the summer. But till then, Napoli are very thankful that they have him because, God, first against second, looking that much of a difference between the two teams, it's a lot of disparity. And 
Quite honestly, Napoli look like a completely different team than the one that lost. They don't stop, man. They just keep going for goals. They just keep pushing forward. They They don't sit back and I don't want to say three zero. I want to say it, but I will. They look like an Italian Arsenal. The way Arsenal have been playing this season, that's the only reason I'm saying that. They play similarly. I would almost argue better. I mean, you see Arsenal thrashing Man City (laughs) 5-1? Probably not. No. No, but I mean, Arsenal looked like they could have against Liverpool, and Napoli did that. So, yeah. Yeah, I would say Napoli looks better. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I... I will when we get to Champions League football in February. I mean, Napoli might be among my favorites. But yeah, but this loss it takes Juve down to third with the results elsewhere. Is AC Milan tied, so they move a point above them. AC mm-hmm. Milan tied Lecce. Yeah, and yeah, AC Milan. They were down after the first three minutes to an own goal by Teo Hernandez, down two zero at halftime, but. They get the comeback. Leao gets a goal, and then Davide Calabria scores in the 70th to uh, tie it up. Yeah. Uh, Milan just show a resolve this season that they haven't shown in recent ones, barring last season where they won the title. So I'm glad they're still showing the same resolve. I don't know if they catch Napoli this season, but they're at least no way, giving man. Napoli, them They're going to run away with it. They're giving some, giving Napoli something to worry about. Which is good. Um, other notable things that happened this week. Uh, PSG beat Angers 2-0. Messi got his first goal and his first start since the World Cup. Equaling Cristiano Ronaldo's goal record in the top five leagues at 696 goals. But in 88 fewer games. How much more impressive is that for Messi than Ronaldo's record? Yeah, pretty impressive. You know, we'll, we'll talk about them again because they played again on uh, one fifteen, mm-hmm. and they lost one nil to Ren. So take the Huge good result for Ren. Throw but... some bad. <laughs> yeah. Again, this this uh, result was more about Messi's record tying Cristiano Ronaldo in eighty eight fewer games. But yeah, PSG they're so often on this season. I mean, when we get to Champions League football, it's good. I I know I picked them to win. It's not looking promising. I'm just saying. Yeah, that. this was their second loss of the season. They're obviously still in first place on 47 points ahead. Second place, Lens, and 44 points. So they got a three point gap there. But yeah, usually not something you expect from PSG. Yeah. Uh, other great news this week: Sebastian Allaire. For Borussia Dortmund in a friendly, his first game back from testicular cancer, scores a 10-minute hat trick. How happy him. are you to see that man back in action after something like that? Yeah, good for him. I am ecstatic. I love comeback stories like this, especially testicular cancer. Like, I mean, did you see Lance Armstrong win anything after that without steroids? I don't think so. Sebastian Allaire coming back, scoring a hat trick game one against not a bad team in FC Basel. Just saying. Yeah, I know there's a few German uh, teams playing friendlies this weekend. Yeah, they'll be back next week. So, uh, and then in Italy, Atalanta beat. Who was it, Tyler? 
Uh, don't ask me to pronounce it. Yeah, that's why I asked you. Um, they they won eight Seller, to two. Seller Natana. Yeah, we'll go with that. Atalanta won eight to two, which is a crazy fucking score. Yeah, poor Memo Ochoa, the Mexican national team yeah. goalkeeper, is the goal goalie who let hate past them. Now instead of Ochoa, it's just Ocho. It's just Ocho. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not Ocho Cinco. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, games midweek to look forward to. On the 18th, we have the Milan Derby in the Italian Supercoppa enter against Milan at the San yeah. Siro. Kind of going back to Italy, Roma beat Fiorentina 2-0 today. Dybala gets two goals. So that was a good result for Roma. Mm-hmm. And also a game I had mentioned last week was uh, Sporting Lisbon and Benfica. Those two finished 2-2. Pretty good game. Man, Benfica. I'm just going to read off some of the players you might not know are on this team. But they have, uh, Ramos, Enzo Fernandez, and then you go ahead. Odomendi, Alejandro Grimaldo. You said Enzo Fernandez, Jaumario, Goncalo Ramos, Rafa Silva. On the bench, they had David Neres and Julian Draxler. I forget Julian Draxler is still playing in a major league. That is nuts. Yeah. So they He's have a- also still under 30 after being around for what seems like an eternity. Pretty sure he was the youngest. He's the youngest goal scorer, youngest player to come on for Schalke. Yeah. One of those. Yeah. One of those. Um, either yeah, way, a crazy good team. Benfica are a master magician team and front office staff as far as transfers go. I mean, the amount of money they've made off of recruiting players is unparalleled in European football. Yeah, there's no one better. Nobody better. Speaking of nobody better, let's get into the done deals of the week. And what grades we would give each team for these deals. This week, we had five deals, major deals. These are not all of them, but the major ones we wanted to point out to you. First off, I know we had mentioned earlier, Jao Felix made his debut for Chelsea. This is an 11 million euro loan from Atletico Madrid. He got a red card and is now suspended for three games, which makes it with salary $1 million per games for the last 18 games. Tyler, Targo, what grade do you give this transfer? Not a good one. Maybe a D. How about from Atleti's standpoint? From Atleti's standpoint, yeah, B, B plus. B, okay. I mean, they're getting... His wages off their bill. They're getting a good chunk of change. Obviously yeah. not near as the amount they paid for him. No. But, yeah. And then it was a gamble. This was a huge gamble on Chelsea's part. And from the start, it's looking like it's not paying off with them now being suspended for three games. Yeah. I mean, the first half, if that's anything to show, they have something to look forward to. However, they don't get to look forward to it for another three games. So Yeah. Is not going to help them any. Um, I give Chelsea a C 
and Atletico an A for giving them room to sign other players that might be more useful to Diego Simeone's system. Vaud Veghorst became official. I know we talked about it last week. Became official. Man United signed him. Paid Besiktas 3 million euros to cancel his loan from Burnley, and Burnley loaned him to Manchester United. How impactful do you think he will be? Not. Not. I think he is going to be one of those subs, like you saw in the World Cup, where he is a luxury sub, changes the dynamic of the forward line when you're just throwing balls in. To the 18-yard box, he is the man you want on the other end. He is. Um, United gives him a different profile. I give Burnley an A++ for this deal. Besiktas, uh, A, whatever is better than plus plus because they got $3 million out of nothing. Uh, and then United, I'm going to give them a B- because I don't know what's going to happen. But I, know I give United different. a C. Yeah, I'd say this is average. Like you say, he's he's not going to start. He gives them something different, though. But the way Man United has been playing, it seems like it's been quite a bit of counterattacking football. Ten Hag likes quicker players up there. He's been playing Martial as his main forward and Rashford as well. So again, if maybe if they're down a game, you throw him on, try to get a header in off something, free kick or corner. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Next up, we got Matias Cunha from Atletico Madrid to Wolves. Three games into his loan, Wolves activate his uh, release clause or loan clause of buying him uh, for 50 million euros. Three games in. That's awfully fast. I agree. Awfully fast, and that's a lot of money, 50 million. It is. He did make a difference for Wolves. Um, and I mean the Carabao Cup and Premier League games since they got him on loan. Is it a good deal for them? No, it's not. Fifty mil is way too much money to pay for someone three games into a loan. Good for Atletico. I mean, almost- they've now got sixty-one million between two loans. It's almost too early to tell though what kind of grade this will be for Wolves. I mean. If he keeps them in the Premier League, then this will be $50 million well worth it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and we got Mario Lamina from Nice to Wolves. Again, Wolves. $9 million. How'd you I see like this? It's not a bad deal. He's got Premier League experience playing at Southampton. He, you know, he was tipped to be one of a, a good player. He played for Juve. I know he was... Rumored at Arsenal to go there, and then he ends up, was it Southampton or Fulham, one of them? Probably played for both, I think, at some point. Yeah. So we'll see what he can bring to him. I know he played for Wolverhampton this weekend, so hopefully it turns out to be a good signing. Again, maybe a B rating, I guess, is what I would give that. Yeah. I think it's too early to tell. I think Nice um, is probably an A for them. Um, Wolves... I'm going to go tentative B as well, just because it's too early. He's only played one game. Yeah. Unlike the Matthias Cunha deal, it's a straight transfer. It's too early to tell. 
but the next one, this one has sprung all of the headlines. We've been talking about it for a while. This went in not the direction anyone thought it would be. Mihailo Mudrik went to Chelsea from Shakhtar Donetsk. 100 million euros hijacking Arsenal's move for the player. Rumor from Fabrizio Romano is that Mihailo Mudrik was given a choice. You can either go to Chelsea or you can stay at Shakhtar until the summer. He chose Chelsea. Doesn't look happy about it, but he did. He went there. He signed an eight-and-a-half-year deal, which is unheard of. That is super long, yeah. Unheard of. That brings him to 30-and-a-half years old. From where he's at right now at 22, brings Chelsea's spending to $519.5 million in the last six months. Do you think he's going to be a hit? I don't know. Again, he's kind of a gamble as well. Like he's had some great performances that we've seen in the Champions League. And for Shakhtar, I think he could be a good player. That's a lot of money on a 22-year-old. I I think it's more than he's worth, if I'm being honest. But I mean, if it again, if it kind of salvages Chelsea's season, if they can get him going and Joao Felix going, again, they could. Like I say, I, I do think they'll go on a on a run here where they'll win six, eight games in a row, and I think those two players will help them in the achieving that. Yeah, and again, he, he has one for the future as well. He only twenty two, so they're going to get eight eight and a half years out of him. <laughs> Crazy long contract. Yeah, so, I think a a lot of that contract is more for when eventually they want to sell him. Yeah. It's for getting more money back as far as the transfer fee goes. Cause I don't think they're going to get a hundred million for him. I know this was 70 up front and 30 in add-ons. Arsenal offered 70 up front and 25 in non-guaranteed add-ons. I assume probably 10 of that was if they won the champions league, which is not likely. So it's more like 15. Um, yeah, I, Mudrik to Chelsea. This just feels like a signing they didn't need, but they got it anyways. Because Todd Bowley just looks over Edu's shoulder and looks at his shopping list and says, "Oh, okay, I'm going to get that guy next." So we also look at the injuries though. With that, yes, Chelsea once they start getting players back from into injuries, it. I think you are right. I think they will win five, six, seven in a row. But I don't think Mudrik right now, especially if he starts next weekend against Liverpool, I don't think he's going to make that big of a difference. They still have no number nine. Havertz, well, they need goals is what they need. Yes, we'll see if he Havertz can is those not goals. the answer. Mudrik is not the answer. Joe Felix can't even play. Sterling's hurt. Pulisic is hurt. Rojas hurt. Mason Mount looks like crap compared to last season. I don't know why Potter insists on playing him. It's Chelsea's a mess. We'll see if this is just like some stopgap to stop the leaking. But at this point, I know this is going to lead into our next topic of discussion, but financial fair play is a joke. Absolute joke. There is no way in hell that Chelsea can justify spending 519 million in 6 months 
and be on the positive side of financial fair play, no matter how many players they sell. You said it, man. It's a joke. I mean, we've seen it with a bunch of other clubs. Yeah. PSG. How do they have Kent Neymar, man? 200, $222 million. million euros. Yes. Largest man, transfer City fee have in the world. Some cash. I mean, Man United have splashed some cash, but so have Arsenal. They've spent a lot yep. of money as well. I agree. They've spent a lot. Granted, I mean, they only really have one major transfer that's over $50 million that was a dud in Pepe. But leads us into our next topic, which might be the most fun we've had yet. Speaking of 100 million euro or pound or dollars players, I mean, Mudrik might be a flop. He might not. But let's talk about the most expensive flops in all of Europe because this is fun. We're going to go in euros. There's a lot. Targo, who are your top three? Well, I think my number one that comes to my mind, my mind, and I know it was one of your tops as well, is Philip Coutinho from Liverpool to Barcelona. That one was just ridiculous. He cost them $120 million up front. They had add-ons. The total came out to €145 million Euros for a player who's best known for helping knock Barcelona out of the Champions League when he was on loan at Bayern Munich. And he scores two goals against Barcelona. <laughs> he was on their oh. books for four years. He just got sold to Aston Villa for 20 million euros. Mm-hmm. So that's a loss of 125 million euros. Yeah. <laughs> for a guy who over five years only had 106 appearances, 25 goals and 14 assists. And like you said, was only known for knocking them out of the Champions League with Bayern Munich. And then a fall from grace to Aston Villa. And even now he can't get a start under Unai Emery. No, no he's he's a luxury bench player that doesn't even come off the bench. What a fall yeah, from that, grace. That's got to be my number one. Being a Liverpool legend at the time to the fall from grace he is at now. Being was at one point coached by his former teammate, Steven Gerrard. You're right. This is awful. Awful business from Barcelona. Then my other two I have is uh, Angel Di Maria when he left Real Madrid for Manchester United. He was uh, 60 million pounds and he scored three goals in 27 games. He only lasted a year at Man United before he left for PSG. And at that time, he was a British transfer record, and Man United took a loss of 15 million pounds on that deal. And I remember that when they got him. Yeah, I do too. I thought, man, he is going to fly in the Premier League. And he started out really well and then just took a nosedive. Yeah. I mean, it shows you what happens to people who are essentially twigs physically coming to the Premier League. It takes not long for them to get worn out. So that's another one. My And then, again, this one might be one of my top swell is Antoine Griezmann. He left Atletico Madrid in 2019 after five years at the club. And Barcelona played it, paid his release clause of 120 million euros. 
And, you know, he he didn't do terrible. Like, he kind of did terrible, but he didn't do too bad. He scored 25 goals in all competitions for Barcelona in the two years he was there before he eventually went back on loan to Atletico. And uh, as we saw at Letico, they recently just bought him back for 20 million euros. So that was a hundred million euro loss for Barcelona. And arguably the best piece of transfer. <sighs> just acumen from Atletico Madrid. Like, yeah, so it was bad. Barcelona lost a lot of money for letting their best player recently. go for two years. But that was it. What are your top flops that you've had? Oh, man. <laughs> there's so many. And there's a lot that are still be to, to be determined. Yeah. I mean. And the one that comes to my mind is Kepa at Chelsea, the yeah. goalkeeper. Yeah. I mean, you could, goalkeeper also go in with, the world. you could also go with Jao Felix. You know, $126 million from Benfica to Atleti. They used the Coutinho money or the Griezmann money to buy him. I still don't think that that one makes even my top three. Um, my biggest one, which I mean, most people are probably going to agree with me, is Romelu Lukaku. Uh, yeah, his transfer from Chelsea to Inter Milan for 115 mil. He only had 44 appearances in two years for Chelsea. 15 goals and two assists, and half of those, three quarters of those, he scored in his first like 10 games. I remember he started out real, real high. Yeah, real high, especially against Arsenal. Which yep, I do remember that. Hard to take. Um, but immediately he came out in the press and said, I'm unhappy here. I want to go back. And news out recently. Is it wasn't that, quite like that, but I remember he did some kind of interview. Where he's like, yeah, I'll go back to Inter Milan. Yeah, I'm not happy at Chelsea. I want to go back to Inter Milan. Goes back to Inter Milan. And now it's Inter Milan are saying that they don't want to pay for him. So they might send him back. He's the unwanted kid. It's an expensive transfer. We'll see. Uh, my next one, which this one's going to be a little controversial, but I think it's an awful transfer from the player's point of view. Jack Grealish from Aston Villa to Manchester City, 117 million euros, 100 million pounds. He doesn't fit into City's system. He doesn't. He is a luxury sub. He is a perfect number 10 for a team who likes to counterattack, not a winger. He's only got seven goals and seven assists in 59 appearances since 2001 for Manchester City. I 2021. That's what I meant. Yeah. Uh, did I say 2001? Yeah. No, that's really bad. Um, yeah. 2021, 20 years later. Um, yeah, it's been a terrible transfer for Manchester city. He's a bench player. He has no ambition. He likes to drink a lot. He likes to celebrate, but he's got no grit. So he doesn't fit into the system that Pep wants. And he just got a goal and an assist in his last two games. Yes. Or I guess three. Yes. But anybody in that city system, should be able to score and get assists. I'm sorry. The fact that they're being talked about not finishing first is ludicrous and completely Pep Guardiola's fault. Just saying. Uh, My last one, which 
makes me laugh thinking about it. It's Eden Hazard from Chelsea to Real Madrid <laughs> uh, for a hundred million and about a hundred million cheeseburgers. Um, yeah, this man he is arguably the best player in the Premier League. Transfers to Madrid and shows what a fall. Fat. What a shows fall, man! Up fat. What a fall! Even just watching him at the World Cup this year for Belgium so was like, bad. what happened to him? No idea. Injuries, overweight, eating a lot, drinking a lot. Now he's in Spain where the weather's nice, not in Chelsea, in London, where it's raining all the time. I'm just saying, I think it's a luxury where he's got a guaranteed contract. He's not leaving, but he really hasn't played a lot for Madrid. He's been hurt most of the time. I mean... That one might be my number one. That's yeah, a terrible. Seventy three he, appearances. Hurt the whole time. He got seven goals and eleven assists in four years. <laughs> he's four been there for four years. Years. Oh man, four years. Yeah. And the worst thing is, is he's got almost as many trophies at Madrid as he did at Chelsea. <laughs> and a backup now. Uh yeah, it's been bad. Worst part is Arsenal's been linked to him. So um, I know I saw that, and I was just like, "Please no, no." Unless we no. get old Eden Hazard from Chelsea, yeah, I don't think I, we do, man. Again, I after watching him play get, for Belgium, I think we get. I think you're right. We get old Eden Hazard. I don't want old we Eden don't Hazard. Get the old Eden Hazard from Chelsea. We get just old and fat one. <laughs> um, yeah, that it's so bad. But there's so many more. I mean, you got Paul Pogba. That whole debacle between Juve and United. Juve lets him go for 105 million and then gets back Pepe for free. comes to mind. Yeah. I had him on the list. I deleted it. Uh Anthony for United, not worth 100 million, I'll tell you that. Is he the worst 100 million transfer to be determined? He's got a lot of time left. He's young and he's got raw talent, but he's not worth 100 million. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, Usman Dembele, 105 million from Dortmund to Barca. He's on the fence for me. Could have been. Yeah, same same for me. I mean, he he's performed, I would say, better than all these other players we're talking about. Yeah. And so. But, I mean, he's been playing for Barcelona for six years. He's been injured a lot, yeah. And he's only got 39 goals and 41 assists in 173 games. For a player that every coach that's coached him says he's better than Messi. Skill wise, definitely wasn't worth the price tag at that young age. Don't think so. So I that's those are the transfer flops. I mean, we'll see if Mudrick is personally, if he stays at Chelsea, I think he might be on this list because I don't think he fits their system. But he's a player that likes to run at defenses. He likes to go with pace. He's going to be a lot like Raheem Sterling a lot. Just younger. Um, but we'll see. However, I mean, 519 million uh, financial fair play is a joke. And that's all I'm going to say for now. But yeah, so those are our top transfer flops. And that's it for, for this episode. 
Make sure you guys check us out on uh, TikTok, Instagram, our Facebook group, Brews and Banter FC. Check out our Redbubble. Get some Brews and Banter merch. We'll be getting ours soon. And that's all. That's all I got for this episode. How about you, Josh? That's all I got. All right. Well, that's it for this one, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.